Welcome to our new podcast series, Round Rock Sunday Sermons. My name is Brad Britton, Senior Pastor at First United Methodist Church of Round Rock. Uh, we are so glad you've connected with us. You can connect in different ways through social media, through our live streams on Facebook or YouTube, our website, fumc-rr.org. Use hashtag fumcrr. Also, please leave a five-star review. We are here to walk with you and look forward to seeing you soon, however you join in. In the very near future, we'll be adding community missions to these podcasts, so stay plugged in to find out how you can help. We want you to know that we want to get to know you, to connect with you, and be the church where you can plug in and grow in your faith in Christ. And so thank you. We welcome you, and let's take this journey together. So we have uh, started something new. It's called The Vine, and it is a devotional that is written by us, and it is uh, based on the previous day's sermon text. So those who've already subscribed to receive it by text, tomorrow morning you'll receive it with the link. Uh, It's a devotional about just the text and and the message, but also there's questions attached to it, so you can do it individually or if you want to use it. In a group setting, it'll work uh, nicely with that. We're also going to expand it and send an email out uh, on Monday, early Monday mornings as well. Maybe not tomorrow, but maybe the next Monday we'll we'll start that. It's also on our website. So the idea is to just offer all of us a chance in our discipleship each week to do something uh, related to following up on what we've shared together. So the vine, and I think it's in your program, and there's the phone number, and what you text to that phone number, it's there. So when you get bored in a little bit, maybe like in two minutes, just do that, and you'll be fine. Let's pray. God, help us to hear a word of hope and grace and love and what you say to us and through us. As always, may it make a real difference in how we live our lives and treat others, because we believe that matters deeply to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, some things you say one word and then you automatically think of something else that's tied to it just automatically. So peanut butter and what? Macaroni and salt and bacon and you can tell I'm on a food train here a little bit. Some things just go together. Thunder and lightning. Then other things you put them together and they just don't mix. Oil and then there's bleach and ammonia, not a good idea. Bleach and vinegar. Some things just don't go together. The Dallas Cowboys and playoff success, right. Uh, Correct. My wife's about to leave the service. She is a huge Cowboys fan and that didn't go well. By the way, that was a great line by Dave. He's going to fit in nicely here. So I grew up in Dallas, went to Roger Staubach's last home game. So uh, next year, Cowboys will win the Super Bowl, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) So some things go together, some things don't go together. And here in James chapter 2, James is going to talk about two things that should not go together if you claim to be a follower of Christ and two things that should go together if we claim to be followers of Jesus. Uh, Remember, James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this letter, and he wrote it to the Jewish Christian early churches in the the first century. And so you can imagine what it would have been like being 
literally one of the first churches. It's like, well, how do you behave? What do you do? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does a life look like? And so he, he wrote this letter with that in mind. And here in the second chapter, he gets right to it. And James is very pointed and direct. And he basically said to the church, he said, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? And what he was getting at was the problem they were having of treating people who were wealthy and had status in the community different from others. One of the practices they had was in their assembly when they would gather, if someone came in wearing gold rings and fine clothes, they would give them the best seat in the house. While to the poor who came in maybe not the best dressed, they would say, why don't you just sit here or back there? And James is pointing out the hypocrisy in this. How can you say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, yet you make distinctions among people? And one of the practices that they had in those days for showing your wealth was the number of gold rings that you would have on your, your fingers. In fact, sometimes in certain settings, they would, they would really play it up and have multiple rings on multiple fingers. So can you imagine someone walking into our service today, and let's say they have rings on every finger, walking in, and, and, and we say, come on up, we, we will give you the best seat in the house. Now, we're Methodists, so it's not the front row, but I must say, I'm impressed here. We have people actually sit on the front row. In the sanctuary, I don't think I've ever seen it. I have seen David and Pat there, but can you imagine we walk them up to the front, and then there's a poor person next to him. We say to the poor person, get lost. There's a seat in the back. You go sit back there, but... And so James is calling out this behavior in the early church. So in effect, he's saying there's two things that should never, ever, ever go together and be acceptable in a Christian's life, and that is making distinctions among people and being partial, showing favoritism. That is, that is not acceptable to James. And he was pretty clear about it. I remember serving one of my first churches. I was in my late 20s, small town. We had a fundraiser dinner, and it was my first year there, and we're there, and all these people came to the dinner, and it was a mission. It was wonderful. And pretty much everyone that was running for office was there for the local government. And I was like, wow, this is neat. This is just great. That is so neat that this community is so close-knit, and you got all these people here, and I grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'd never lived in a small, small town. And so the next year, I noticed there wasn't a single politician there, not a one. And uh, one of the older members said to me, son, don't you get it? I said, get what? And she said, they show up on election year. Hello. Uh, now, I'm not talking about all politicians. Maybe some of you serve in local government are wonderful, but it was funny to see on full display hey, let's suddenly get religious since it's an election year, right? So James is saying here, that is not what we do as followers of Christ. So what do we do? What does go together? So he's told us what doesn't go together, and he said, well, here's what should go together, and that is your faith and how you live your life. What you say you believe about Christ and how you live matters. 
So let's think of the word faith. What does faith mean? If you were to leave here today and say you go to, to brunch or lunch or H-E-B, wherever, and somebody comes up to you and asks you point blank, would you please, in a sentence, define the word faith for me? What would you say? Granted, that's not going to happen, but let's say it did. What would you say? Uh, for me, the best definition of faith, and, and this has been true in, in, in my understanding, and also I'll read something in Scripture towards the end of the sermon that will kind of back it up, but for me, faith is uh, receiving God's grace in Christ as a gift. That's faith. Faith is receiving God's grace in Christ as a gift, complete and total gift. Nothing we created, nothing we did, but it is a complete gift from, from God. Often we talk here about belonging, believing, and becoming, and that's how we understand God's work in our lives in grace. So belonging, we believe that God has already loved and accepted us by becoming one of us in Christ and dying for us and rising again. So we, we believe that's been done. Uh, believing is the faith part. So I have faith in the grace of God as gift. And then becoming is our works, how we live our lives and treat other people based on the teachings and life of Jesus. Belonging, believing, becoming. So let's think about that a second. What motivates you to do good things for other people? Sometimes we do good things for other people to get out of trouble. Has anybody ever done that? You ever been in trouble and you do something nice to try to get out of trouble? Yeah, sure. Sometimes we do good things for others just for affirmation. We want to be affirmed. I mean, who doesn't like to be affirmed? Do, do you wake up each day and say, I don't want to be affirmed today. I hope nobody pats me on the back. Don't affirm me. Then there's also the motivation of doing good for others, thinking I'll get something in return later. Maybe it's something uh, of someone of a position of power or whatever, and we're, we, we do it with that motivation. Well, if we think about belonging, believing, and becoming, our, our real motivation for doing good for others should flow out of grace. In 1 John 4, 19, it says that we love because he first loved us. And what that means is I love and share with others in the purest sense when I truly understand that I have been loved by a graceful God first, and I'm just a conduit of God's grace and forgiveness. That's, that's it in a nutshell. We are conduits of God's grace. And it is a wonderful thing when you see it operating in life. Many of you here today are here because someone in this church community was a person of grace to you. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, you know, in the passage there in chapter 2, he talked about uh, the royal law, which was loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, love yourself, okay? Sometimes the hardest people or the hardest we are on people is, is ourselves. Love yourself. It's okay in a healthy way. You were created in God's image. God loves you. There's grace for you. And because you have grace and received it, then we're, we're more readily to share it with others. But when we think less than of ourselves and beat ourselves up, who are we going to beat up next, right? So you have value. And because you have value in God's grace, then others can share. The other day, uh, Alicia and I went to 
H-E-B, and this was when everybody was freaking out about a couple of days of cold weather. You remember? And we weren't going to the store to stock up on toilet paper and all that. We were just going because it was cold and we wanted to cook some gumbo. And so we, we pull into the parking lot and I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all these people. And I was walking in thinking, I hope there hasn't been a run on andouille sausage because that is critical to this gumbo. And I, I, was, I was worried. I was actually, I, I was sprinting to the back, knocking people over in the produce section. Thank God there was andouille sausage and... We had it. Even picked up some toilet paper just to feel part of the movement. That was not a good, never mind on that word. (laughs) I did not mean that. (laughs) Hey, on the podcast, let's do the 11 o'clock on the podcast, whoever's recording this. So uh, we we made gumbo, and uh, how am I going to even finish this now? You're taking me seriously. So we, we like to make gumbo. I'm from Louisiana, and uh, years ago, Alicia and I went to the New Orleans School of Cooking, which is in the French Quarter in New Orleans, and they have this wonderful experience where you can learn how to do gumbo, how they do it, and jambalaya and all this, and and then you get to eat it, which is even the best part. And there at the School of Cooking, they have this stuff. It's called Joe's Stuff, and this is the seasoning that you put into the gumbo. Once you get it all mixed up, you pour this into the, the gumbo, and it's called Joe's Stuff because a guy named Joe came up with it. So there it is, Joe's Stuff. By the way, I don't get any kickbacks from them, but I do recommend Joe's Stuff. Only $9.99. You can. So on the label, what does it say? New Orleans School of Cooking, Joe's Stuff. So I know that inside here is Joe's Stuff. I've had Joe's Stuff before. I know what the contents of this bottle should be, it is Joe's stuff. You think about the label of Jesus and throughout the centuries. Jesus is the name on the label, but oh, how the contents of the bottle have changed over the centuries, haven't they? Think about that a second in our lives. We claim to be Christians and followers of Christ. What are the contents of my bottle? Is it any kind of a reflection of the contents of the teachings of Jesus and, and his life. You know, you can, you can take God's name or Jesus, however you want to say it, and attach it to anything and say that that's what I believe And when really we're just taking Jesus' name maybe to affirm the gods that we live for instead of living in response to what Jesus taught. And, and that's that's what James was getting at here. Because you know it's possible to do that, to put the label of Jesus on your life and then live exactly opposite to that. Uh, John Newton, he was a slave trader, 1700s. He converted to Christianity and then had a second real conversion on actually thinking about what it is like to actually live out our faith. And it was at that point that he wrote Amazing Grace. He, he would operate these slave ships, and he finally came to the conclusion that that's not good. That is not what a Christian should be doing. And so he wrote Amazing Grace, which is one of the most well-known hymns in all of the church. But before he realized that, he claimed to be a Christian a follower of Christ, and in his diary, he wrote that some of his best moments of worship and communion with others was on these slave 
ship journeys across the sea, and the obvious question is, how can someone worship God above deck with what was going on below deck? Thankfully, he reconciled in his life and changed. Uh, Emperor Constantine, he was uh, emperor in Rome in the early 300s. Uh, he was the first emperor to embrace Christianity, so it kind of became the religion of Rome. And you're thinking, great, what a wonderful story. That is just great, Constantine. And only one problem, uh, he executed both his wife and son, claiming to be a Christian. Now, those are extreme examples, but let's think of our own lives. Do I live out in my life anything that resembles the grace of God in Christ? Do I take seriously any of Jesus' teachings, even the hard ones? You know, you know the one in the Sermon on the Mount? Remember, what is it, love your who? Enemies? That's hard. Do not judge. How about that one? And then the grace. Am I, am I really graceful and accepting of all people? Or do I make distinctions based on who I think I like or who I think God would want and accept? And Jesus did that all the time, especially with women. Women were not valued at all in that culture, and Jesus had many that were his followers. That was radical. So, so the question is, are we really conduits of, of God's grace? In uh, Paul's letter to Corinth, the second letter he wrote to the church at Corinth, he, he actually has this beautiful line. He's talking about the church at Corinth, and he said, you are Christ's love letter to the world. You ever thought of your life that way? You are God's love letter to your family, to your workplace, to your neighborhood. You are God's love letter at the ball field. And, and what was important to James, and I think what should be important for us, is we shouldn't just compartmentalize our faith to where, well, it's Sunday, let's go uh, be a Christian. It's Sunday. This is a call to a way of life, but it all comes from grace. I had a guy in one of my first churches that I served, I was an associate in Fort Worth, and uh, he came to faith later in life, and every time the doors were open, he was there. He volunteered for everything, and it was just everything. Wonderful guy. And I was visiting with him one day, and we were talking, and he said, you know, I, I was a wreck the first part of my life, and now I'm doing all this because I have a lot to make up for. And I said, I appreciate what you do for the church, but let me help you think about that differently. God already loves you and has accepted you, and there's grace. You don't have to work your way into favor with God. In fact, that's the opposite of grace. And I love that you do all these things around the church, and I think that's wonderful. But maybe, just maybe, can you take a step back and think, what's my motivation? Is it truly because he first loved me? Is that, is that the motivation? Fred Craddock told a story about a time he was a pastor in Oklahoma, and this was years ago, Custer City, Oklahoma. 
said there are about 450 people in the town and four or five churches, which if you've been through small towns, you've seen that. And so do the math. They're all pretty small. We're going to divide up even that size. And he was there in the church. He said they had a cafe there in the town. And the men would gather, a lot of the men would gather Sunday morning at the cafe. And these are older guys, farmers, and good guys that, that, that live good lives, took care of their families. But they didn't go to church. They just went to the, to the cafe. And uh, Craddock said the church attendance was like this, you know, just depending on the season and whatever. He said occasionally we get one of the guys from the cafe when, when their wife or kids somehow coerced them into to go into church, you know. And he said Frank was the leader of the group, 77-year-old guy named Frank, leader of the coffee group, a good guy, not a bad person. And Craddock was the pastor at the Methodist church. He's walking down the street one day, ran into Frank and shakes his hand. And Frank kind of took the initiative to start the conversation by saying, look, I'm a, I'm, I'm a good man. I work hard. I take care of my family. And, and I, uh, I mind my own business. And Craddock said, well, that was his way of saying, don't try to invite me to your church. That's really all he was saying. Look, just back off. He said, I was just going to say hello. I wasn't going to try to do an altar call. I'm sorry. Well, lo and behold, not long after that, out of the blue, Frank shows up at church. And he not only shows up at church, he shows up and wants to be baptized. Now, this is a small town, and uh, believe me, I've lived in, spent a decade serving in the rural church. People love to gossip in the small towns, and, and they'll, they'll gossip about anything. If, if a grasshopper is jumping around in the yard, we'll make up a story about the grasshopper. And the rumor in town was, oh, no, Frank must be terminally ill. He's getting baptized. Well, that wasn't the case. Frank was baptized, and then the next day, Craddock said he was visiting with Frank and just talking, and he said, hey, t tell me more. And he said, uh, he said, I remember when I visited you that day on the sidewalk, you said that uh, you worked hard, you took care of your family, and that you mind your own business. Is that, is that still true for you? And he said, yeah. He says, I, I still say it today. And he said, well, well what's the difference? And then Frank said, back then, I didn't know what my business was, and now I do. That sounds to me like someone who maybe for the first time recognized in his life that God's grace and the Holy Spirit was with him the whole way, and he finally recognized him in faith, and that maybe life could look a little different. There's a beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter 2, and I wanted to read it because I think it says perfectly what we're talking about here in relation to faith being a gift of God's grace. By the way, faith and gratitude are linked together. So faith is receiving God's grace as gift freely, and then gratitude is receiving it well in how we express our life in the way we live. So listen to this from Paul. This is what he wrote to the church at Ephesus. It's from chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, 
not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks again for taking the first step and not only creating us, but delivering us from lives that are devoid of your understanding of, of grace and forgiveness. We want to be people of faith who can receive that freely and to offer your love to others freely with no strings. And so help us in our lives to live as people of faith and to have the best motivation as we love and serve others, just as we have been loved by you first in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon series podcast from First United Methodist Church of Round Rock, Texas. For more information, you can find us online at fumc-rr.org or find us on social media at F-U-M-C-R-R.